It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Joel. I'm uh, your new associate pastor, and uh, we're continuing our series on dangerous prayers. Uh, and I want to start with, with asking this question. Um, did any of you have the great privilege of being a youth group kid in like the mid-90s or like early 2000s, right? Now, for me, that's a special time. Yeah, 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 come on, let's give a hand for ourselves. You know, like elder millennials, come on, represent. Now, this is the thing. That time for me, it's like the pinnacle of like Christian music, right? Like, like from when like DC Talk released Jesus Freak and Joseph Clay released her debut album, right? Until like DC Talk broke up. Like that was it. That's as good as it's going to get. Now, the thing about that time is that besides, you know, being awesome at music, we got disturbingly good at taking like popular culture, like logos, symbols or whatever, and like making a Christian version of it. Uh, probably the best example of this is the art of the Christian t-shirt in the mid-90s, right? Catch up with Jesus. Or, uh, you know, mustard seed faith, right? My favorite one is this one right here. The Lord's Gym. Now listen, I lived in Ecuador, so we didn't get as many of this. And I remember like a missionary showing up. And he's like, you know, like Jesus doing push-ups with a cross. He looks like a wrestler. And I'm like, that's awesome. I wanted one of these. I've chased it for years. Have never found it. If you have like an XL O'Reilly one lying somewhere, hook me up after the service. That would be awesome. Now, the apotheosis of weird Christian culture came when we mixed cheesy t-shirts with cheesy acronyms that Rick Warren came up with like in the late 90s, right? I don't know if he came up with this one, so I... Probably. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised if it was him, right? So we had like push, pray until something happens, which all of a sudden we're wearing and we think we're like in NWA or something, like, you know, looking all tough. Uh, there's a very, very flimsy connection between this and my sermon, except that I wanted an excuse to show you old t-shirts from the 90s. Um, but the reason actually why, why I'm showing you this is because that last t-shirt that we saw does pose a question that I want to explore today. And that question is, how long should we pray for? Okay? And I'm not meaning like how long do we pray for in a day, but like when we're praying for something, for how long do we pray if that thing doesn't seem to happen, right? Because sometimes we pray prayers and it's like God answers them immediately, right? Like I've had, uh, I've had moments where like I was praying that morning and that afternoon I got a phone call that was the answer to my prayer. But sometimes, it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. I wouldn't be surprised if in a room this size, some of you have things that you've been praying for for years, maybe your entire life. And it does kind of like if we're talking about praying in your prayers and seeking God, it's not an unfair question to ask. Like, okay, how does... How, what's the delivery time on this thing, right? Like, are we talking like Amazon Prime? Like, do you get like the next day? Is it like more like if I send a piece of like physical mail to my country, it may or may not get there at some point in the next decade, right? So how exactly does, does prayer work? And we've looked at two things in the idea of dangerous prayers. We've looked at praying boldly. And last week, Chad talked about what it's like to pray intentionally. And the question is, what happens when that doesn't seem to quote-unquote work, you know? When we pray boldly and we pray intentionally, we're seeking God and we're asking Him to move and then nothing happens. And sometimes it's 
simple stuff like, hey, I would like a promotion in my job or, 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 or stuff like that. Sometimes it's serious things, right? It's an illness to be cured of, a relationship to be restored, a partner. There are things that sometimes are like profound yearnings of our hearts that we've been praying for years and we haven't seen an answer. And at some point, if you're human, you've probably asked yourself the question, should I just give up? Because maybe this is not for me. Maybe God's never going to answer this prayer. And, and maybe you've wrestled with that, right? Like, is there a point, am I just wasting my time getting up every morning and asking God for this thing? Does it matter if we persevere in prayer? And that's actually what I want to look at today, this third element of praying dangerous prayers, and that's praying persistently. Now, with that, I want to take you to a parable in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to start reading on verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The story is pretty straightforward, right? Like we have this widow, and what you have to understand is that we're talking first century um, engineers. They're very patriarchal societies, right? Like women uh, don't have that many rights, like all of the protection that they have, it's usually because of either their, their parent, their, their, their father, and then when they get, they get married, their, their husband, right? So what happens a lot of times is that when you become a widow, you have no protection. If there's any sort of dispute, if somebody is ripping you off in something, if somebody is accusing you of something, you have very little recourse to defend yourself. So what this woman is doing is she's coming to the only person that can help her, in this case, is the judge. And, 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 and I think that's important because a lot of times the prayer that we're really serious about, the prayers that matter enough for us to keep praying for days and weeks and months and even years are precisely the prayers that we really need God to move on, aren't they? The prayers that we feel almost like desperate or backed into a wall. And, you know, the prayers that we come to God because really nobody else can help us or intervene. Now, the interesting thing is that in this parable, the judge is not a good guy, right? Like the way that Luke describes him, he says, is a judge who neither fear God nor care what people thought. And, and sometimes... Kind of like to, to give you an understanding of, of the parables that Jesus tells. Usually what Jesus does is like he presents you some sort of dynamic. And then he compares it to the kingdom of God, right? So like the kingdom of God is like a workers that went to work in a vineyard. Or the kingdom of God is like, you know, a, a farmer that went out to, to sow some seeds, stuff like that. But, but sometimes what Jesus will do, and what's the case here, is that Jesus will show you a dynamic. And this dynamic actually functions the complete opposite 
of how the kingdom of God functions. It's kind of like a compare and contrast thing that's happening. And this was going on, right? So Jesus is depicting the judge who's hearing the, 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 the petition of the woman. And he's depicting him in diametrically opposed way of how God is. Right? So he's saying, this judge is not a good guy, right? You don't want to invite him over for Christmas. You don't want to really be friends with this guy. He's not a good guy. And then what he does is like, if in this situation where this judge who's not a good guy actually ends up doing the right thing, even if it's for the wrong motives, how, more, how much more won't your father in heaven act in the same or a better way? That's kind of like the gist of the parable. And the point that he's making, the dynamic that Jesus is presenting in this particular parable is simple, that persistence matters. Here's this judge who could care less for this widow. And yet, because she persists in asking for justice, he eventually grants her request. Like if you read uh, verse 5, it's fascinating. The rationale that the passage presents us for the judge answering is that she won't go away. Like there's this interesting line in how uh, the, the writer describes him because he says like, I'm afraid that she's going to come and attack me, which I'm like, it's like an old lady that's like, you know, like has like some punch in her purse or something that's coming after him. If you read like older translations, the line is she's going to wear me out. And the reason why I think the NIV translator translated it as she's going to attack me is because the original language is this weird idiom that says she's going to give me a black eye. Which kind of like gives you the image of like the boxer, you know, you're like, I don't know, like a Mike Tyson or something just coming at you and, and giving you a black eye. It's like she's fighting him, right? Like that's the image that Jesus uses about persistency. And Jesus juxtaposes this dynamic of somebody asking for justice to an unjust judge. Try to say this three times fast with an accent, okay? And he juxtaposes this dynamic with how God works. And he makes a couple of interesting points. The first one is this. Jesus is making a point. God is not like the judge. Meaning, I mean, it seems pretty self-explanatory, but God's not evil. <laughs> and, and, and you say, of course I know that God's evil. Yes, you, 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 you might agree with God's evil, but a lot of times what happens is that we ascribe to God, okay, God isn't evil, God isn't a bad guy. But then all of the other things that we would ascribe to somebody like that, we ascribe to judge. So maybe he's not evil, but he doesn't care for me. Or he listens to the prayers of holier people than me. Or, or he is more present when, when people have like their lives more together than, than I do. You, you know what I'm saying? Like we start kind of like ascribing these ideas to God. And he says, no, 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 no. God is complete opposite to the judge. God is not deaf to a request underneath. God is not indifferent to our situation. And then Jesus goes and puts these two ideas in tension. The first one he says is... God will grant justice to those who are crying out to him day and night. But not only does he say that God actually grants justice, actually God answers prayers, but then he says this, he says he will do so quickly. Which is a very interesting thing to say in a parable that you're telling about persisting in prayer when it doesn't seem like the answers are coming quickly. But then what makes this even more confusing is the second thing. So he starts saying, you know, God is not like this judge, and God answers, and God grants justice, and God does so quickly. And then he says, it's kind of like strange that he says, but when the Son of Man comes, 
will he find faith on earth? So on one hand, Jesus is not a capricious being who does not care about his people. He answers prayers, he grants requests, and in the words of Jesus, he does it promptly. I'm sorry, promptly. And at the same time, Jesus says that our faith and our perseverance in faith and in prayer somehow matters and is important. And the question is, how do we balance those two ideas? How do, how do we reconcile them? And, and the, the first thing I think we need to do is um, look for a second at why prayers are not always answered quickly or sometimes not answered at all or at least not in the way that we want. And I give you a couple of thoughts on this. And this is not like uh, all-encompassing, like I'm leaving some stuff out because you could talk about this for, for years. But I just want to give you like three thoughts to kind of like help us understand this. The first thought is this. God is not a genie. Okay? What I mean by that is that, if, uh, you know, if you're familiar with Aladdin... Uh, you know, the genie shows up, like, we're trying to get Jack into a Disney movie, so last night we were just, like, showing him just, like, the songs of the things. We listened to Under the Sea, like, seven times. He's obsessed with it. It's awesome. It's a great song. But anyway, not related to this at all. Uh, guys, not a genie, right? So, like, if you remember of the genie in Aladdin, you know, he can shows up, and Aladdin makes a wish, and the genie literally just kind of, like, flicks his fingers, and it happens, right? Like, it's, it's this magical way in which happens. Now, we, we look at the scriptures, and we see God speaks the universe into existence, right? Like God says, let there be, and things appear. And, and, and there's sometimes almost like the, it's hard for us in our minds to reconcile that and God's power to how God actually moves and works in the world today. Most of the time what you're going to see in the Bible and through history is that God doesn't just like, God can do that, but God doesn't normally work like that. He just doesn't snap his fingers and kind of, like, make things change magically. And there's a whole sermon here that we need to be preached about God's sovereignty and how God works through history. But, but for, the second for, for the sake of time, the one thing I want to say here is um, the scriptures are very clear on God's sovereignty and God's power. God's all-powerful. He can do anything. And at the same time, and this is kind of like depending on your theological stream, you might agree or disagree. Uh, at the same time, God seems to grant his creation agency. He creates Adam and Eve, places him in a garden, and gives them a choice of what to do. You see Moses uh, standing before the people of Israel as they're going to go into the promised land. And he says, I am placing before you the choice of life. And death. God seems to give his creation agency. But agency is not true agency if the choice is kind of like a fake choice and God is going to make you do whatever he wants you to do anyway. And not only that, but agency is not true agency if you are not granted what I would call the dignity of the consequences of your own choices. The way in which we grow, the way in which we develop, the way in which we learn, a lot of times is by God allowing us to make choices, and sometimes we make wrong choices, and we make mistakes, and we learn from those mistakes. This, and, and again, we can go through like, you know, pages and pages and pages from the Bible about that. And, and the point I'm trying to make is this. God doesn't seem to, normally speaking, force his will on people. And 
as I said, theologically, you might disagree with that. And if you have any problems, you can email office at thejourneynova.org and Robin will set you straight with like all, all, all theological questions that you have. But, but the point I'm trying to make is this. Like, I think that a lot of times, one of the reasons why we're frustrated with God's, what I would call prayer to response ratio, is that we want God to force people into action. We might not say it like that, we might not think like that, but if you really kind of like start digging in, that's what you want. And if this idea is true that God grants his creation agency and the dignity of their choices, God is not going to always just force his will into other people just because you're asking him to. Now, does that mean that prayer is pointless because God doesn't force people to do stuff? And again, the answer is no, because, you know, it's, again, I, I really... Maybe what I'll do is like during the week when I'm doing like those Instagram videos, I'll do a video on this thought to kind of like elaborate a little bit. But the, but the point is this, God doesn't force his will, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't work in the world. And what you're going to see is God through the Holy Spirit influences people, how you change. God doesn't just force you to change, God woos you into change. With his Holy Spirit, he calls you out, he convicts you of sin. It's this long process, the same process that's happening to you, it's happening to everybody else and and what you end up seeing then is this that a lot of times the answer to our prayers is connected to the will and the agency of other people and a lot of times to the prayers of other people do you guys ever remember was it like bruce almighty when like uh you know bruce becomes god and he's like granting everybody's request to win the lottery and then he creates like this chaos because everybody's winning the lottery at the same time God doesn't work like that. God is kind of like holding this whole universe together and trying to keep things in track. And that a lot of times happens when, when we pray. Sometimes the answer to our prayer, it's somebody else's obedience. Sometimes our obedience, our generosity, our kindness is the answer to somebody else's prayers. Do you think, you, you know what I'm saying? And the point I'm trying to make is this, that if this is how God works... If it takes time for God to get you to change your mind and see the error of your ways, shouldn't we cut so, God some slack because he's also trying to change the minds and see the error of ways of everybody else? You see what I'm saying? Like it's a whole world working through. And the way which God works is kind of like influencing with his Holy Spirit and kind of like pushing creation towards a play of, of, of healing and restoration. Um, which means that a lot of times when our prayers don't get answered right away, we don't have to just, like, resent that or feel like maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe there's something wrong with your neighbor, but, but maybe there's nothing wrong with you. And, and maybe what happens is that God is just working through history doing his thing, and we need to learn to be patient. Mark Batterson wrote a book on prayer, and he says this. No doesn't always mean no. Sometimes no means not yet. We're too quick to give up on God when he doesn't answer our prayers when we want or how we want. Maybe your deadline doesn't fit God's timeline. Maybe no simply means not yet. Maybe it's a divine delay. This is the first thing. The second thing is that sometimes we are not ready. Okay? What I mean by that is that a lot of times some of the prayers that we're asking, our prayers say, like, I am ready for this promotion, I'm ready for this next thing. And, and if you remember the parable of the talents, right? What's the idea of the parable of the talents? That there is this relationship between our faithfulness and how we steward what God has given us 
to what God entrusts us with. And I don't think that's only true of eternity. I think that a lot of times it's true in today. That a lot of times the things that we're asking for, uh, what's the line in, in, in Top Gun? Like your, 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 body's make, your, your mouth is making checks, that, writing checks that your body can't cash. A lot of times your prayers are asking for loans that your character can sustain. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and sometimes part of our prayer and our seeking God is like, God, what is the thing that you're doing in me right now? How are you preparing me? What's the thing that I need to mature of or develop to be ready for this thing that, 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 that I'm asking for? We want to use prayer a lot of times as a shortcut to circumvent our own development. I want God, just make this happen. Make me more loving. And actually, yeah, but like, maybe you should like, I don't know, like apologize to your wife for that thing you said last night. Give that a try and see how it works. And then come back to me, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's, this, there's, there's this sense in which we want basically God to bail us out of having to go through the pains of growing. And God loves you way too much to let you do that. There's a thing that I used to say to the people at old church. It became kind of like a mantra for us, and it was this. You don't get to skip over your own life. And a lot of times what we want is kind of like God to take us to a finish line and to make us job the hard part and the difficult part and the challenging part and the part where the growth happens. And God says, no, because I'm doing something in your life through that growth to that change, and I'm not going to just skip that. The third thing is this. Sometimes our prayers don't, don't need to be answered right away because there's what, what we call in Christianity spiritual opposition, Right? And I'm about to read you one of the most bizarre passages in the Bible, and I don't have time to explain it, and this is not a sermon about demons. Nobody's going to get weird, so relax, okay? So I'm going to read you this, and we'll go from there, right? Daniel. Daniel is this famous guy in the Old Testament. He is basically this, this, this Jewish boy that gets taken into exile to Babylon, and he's very wise, and God's hand is over him, and he kind of like, you know, rises up through the ranks of the Babylonian Empire. When the Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian Empire, he's so good that he kind of like, they keep him on staff, and he becomes a very influential person, and he has this thing that he can interpret dreams, he has visions, and in this particular passage, he has a vision. This is what it says, Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. The lotions line is always weird to me. Like, my skin is very dry, and I get, like, ashy in my, like, my elbows and my knees. I'm like, oh, like, that's too much, three weeks. Anyway, skip the whole thing. He's praying. He fasts. And then at the end of the fast, he has this really crazy vision of an angel. And then the angel starts speaking to him, and this is what he says, verse 12. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. The angel got stuck in traffic. Do you get that, right? Okay. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, kept telling me, God had to send reinforcements. Like if any of you are like in the Coast Guard or something, right? Like something happens and you call, hey, you have to wait for the helicopter to come here. It's going to be like a couple hours. Can you hang on in there? That's exactly what's happening here. 
Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. I'm going to do a very theologically responsible thing. I'm just going to drop this there. You deal with this passage if you're aware of it, right? But what, what, what the passage seems to be implying is that if we're talking that how, like, think of the world and think of, like, God being sovereign at the same time granting agency to his creation, this seems to extend to a spiritual realm. And somehow it means, like, what John trying to get at is, like, we're praying is not just us and God. And it's not just I ask for this and then God has to do it. It's we are connected to people around us, to people that we love, to people that we don't love, to humans in general. And we seem to be connected to the spiritual realm. And sometimes there's an opposition between that and what we're asking and what God is trying to do. And it seems to take perseverance and prayer for things to move along. Now, telling you all these, all these kind of like main three things, there's plenty more. We could be here for, for hours just talking about why sometimes prayer is an answer. But I want to tell you this. Like, even though I've told you all this, a lot of times I will have people come to me as a pastor I say, hey, I've been praying for this for years. What's happening, right? And sometimes our temptation is to start asking questions. I mean, oh, see, you don't have enough faith. Or like, see, you have sin in your life. And that's why God isn't answering. The answer that I give people all the time is, I don't know. Because I don't. I don't know what's going on. I'm not God. I don't have this grand vision of everything that's going on. And guess what? You don't either. And I'm telling you this, not to bring you down, but actually try to encourage you that it's not necessarily your fault. It's not that you don't have enough faith or that you're not holy enough. It's not always that, you know, God's just angry with you or he's trying to discipline you and that's why. I, I, I don't know. It could be. I don't know. And, and I try to kind of like step into any conversations about Delaying prayer and unanswered prayer with that idea. Now, this is the thing about this passage. The passage doesn't end there. Because Jesus then goes to make this, this weird connection between saying that God will see that those who pray to him get justice and quickly. And then asking this question about if when Jesus comes back, he will find faith on earth. Let's go back to Luke uh, 18 verse 8. I tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Thank you. There you go. It's like back in the when like people were like, hey. Uh, listen. I think that what's going on here, and I could be wrong, but what I think that's going on here is that that second line is kind of like there to cover the other cases when it feels like God is not granting justice quickly. And when it feels like God is delaying. And Jesus seems to be saying, if it feels like God is not answering your prayer right away, or feels like he's not going to answer it at all, he's asking you a question. And the question is this, would you still be faithful to him until his return? Even if your prayer doesn't get answered. It's almost like Jesus is saying the point of persistence in prayer. It's not only God answering our prayers, but our actual faithfulness to God. 
our persistence in prayer is directly related to our faith in God, which is related to our faithfulness to God. And kind of like, this is like my best attempt of making like a flow chart, right? A lot of times what we think happens is that we are persistent because we have faith. So like if you have faith, you're going to be persistent in prayer. And because you're persistent in prayer, you're going to stay faithful to God. And I think that's true, but I think that there's also kind of like an inverse thing going on here. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, the way that your faith grows, the way that your faith continues, the way that your faith doesn't weather is if you persist. It's like working out. It's almost like faith is this muscle and persistence in prayer. Getting up every morning and continue to ask God and continue to trust in God and continue to believe in the impossible. It's a thing that like rekindles our faith and allows us to remain faithful to Jesus. Why persevere in prayer? Because our perseverance in prayer will lead to our perseverance in the rest of our spiritual life. Mark Batterson in, in, in this book on prayer also says this. It's easy to give up on dreams, give up on promises, on, give up on miracles, give up on promises. We lose heart, lose patience, lose faith. And like a slow leak, it often happens without us even knowing it until our prayer life gets a flat. What's he saying? He's saying if we don't persist on, in prayer, our faith withers out. Um, a few, couple years ago, um, I, I started seeing this, this kind of like news on my Facebook feed. Uh, can you show the next, next picture? Uh, it was um, this, this woman called uh, Jane Marksuska, I think is how you pronounce it. And it was basically, she had died at 31 years old. She was a Christian singer who had uh, participated in America's Got Talent at some point. And a bunch of people that I knew like were posting about this. And I was like, that name sounds familiar and I cannot figure out what. And then somebody finally kind of like posted the link that made it click together. Almost a year before she died, she, she, had, she, she was a singer, and, and she, had, she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, her husband left her in the middle of that. It was this, this tragic story. And she, had po- she was she's a very powerful writer, and she had written this, this blog post. Um, and it says, like, the blog post was called, God is on the bathroom floor. And I want to read you the whole thing, because I'm going to read you a couple of lines. This is what he says. I don't remember most of autumn because I lost my mind late in the summer and for a long time after that I wasn't in my body. I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far. After the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California and 16 weeks later I got it. The cancer was gone, but when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma, and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep even with my head on the toilet. I have had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet God, he will say I disappointed him, 
or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say, I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. And I'm reading you this because it's a story about somebody that doesn't get an answer to her prayer. She died a year later. And she doesn't know what's going on. Her theology is in full straight about God's sovereignty or what's happening. And she doesn't care. And she keeps showing up every day. <laughs> and I think about the widow, kind of like how like the judge is scared of the widow, and the judge is saying, like, the widow's gonna punch you in the face if I don't answer her, right? And she's not that disrespectful, but there's a little bit of like a defiance. She's like, you know what? Maybe I was wrong, and maybe this is my fault, and maybe there's something that wanted me to die and learn. But you know what? I don't care. I'm still gonna show up. God cannot say that he did not know me because I was at his doorstep every day. That's persistence in prayer. And the only thing that can possibly fuel that persistence is a conviction that God is good. A conviction that God loves us. A conviction that no matter how messed up our story is and how in the dumps we are and how long we've waited for the thing, that my story isn't over because God is still God. And while that is true, I'm going to keep showing up. 